Oh, we can go? Okay. Oh, I am recording. Are you ready, Christine? Uh, yeah, I'm ready. Are you ready, Ma? I am ready. Let's go. Let's go to Ohio. Oh, I didn't even realize that. Nor did I. How very strange. We are doing the 1975 Rocky Horror Picture Show. <clears throat> A newly engaged couple break down and spend the night at the mansion home of Dr. Frankenfurter. Particulous. The Rocky Horror Picture Show premiered in London on August 14th, 1975. Oh. Very close to almost being my birthday mm -hmm. by five years and one day. The U.S. premiere was September 25th, 1975. So it was a month before you got married, Ma. That's why I'm well, surprised what? you hadn't seen this. That, that would be why. <laughs> Maybe. I can't believe I didn't see it either. I can't believe this is... I was a virgin Rocky Horror Picture Show viewer. Wow. Oh. Not easy to say that about much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I had seen it. <laughs> I had seen it, but I didn't remember it. I think I did what my brother did and fell asleep after the first hour. How is how, how is it possible remember? you wouldn't remember it? Because I think it was like a late night after a few brews and booze and whatnot. And somebody put it. It was like, have you ever seen this? And I was like, no. And put oh, it on. Okay. And then if, if I fell on my side, that's it. Lights well, out. That's true. But it's so Hedvig-ish. I know. Mm -hmm. It, it's so, I was like, oh, snap. Yeah. Okay. So the particulars produced by Lou Adler, who was a film and music producer. He also produced, among other legendary rock and roll classics, Carol King's album Tapestry. Mm, one of my faves. He also discovered and produced um, the Cheech and Chong and Cheech and Chong films. Oh, those were fun. <laughs> um, we'll have to do them sometime. Um, he also produced American Me and the Monterey Pop Festival, oh, the okay. documentary and the festival. Mm. Nerd Alert, he owns the Roxy Theater that's in oh. Hollywood, West Los Angeles, which, uh, I don't mean to brag, but I have uh, graced that stage. You have. Oh. Playing the uh, drums. Michael White also produced it. He produced the same year, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. So, wow, 75 wow. was a great year. It was. Uh, he also produced My Dinner with Andre and Jabberwocky. The director is Jim Sharman. He's an Australian fellow, a film and stage director. He has so many stage credits. His film credits include Shock Treatment, Shirley Thompson versus the Aliens and Summer Secrets. The screenplay is by Richard O'Brien and he co-wrote it with Jim Sharman. It's based on the 1973 musical, The Rocky Horror Show, which Richard O'Brien wrote the music book and lyrics to. 
Richard O'Brien also plays Riff Raff in the show uh-huh. and the film. He co-wrote Shock Treatment. He was also the voice of Lawrence Fletcher in the Phineas and Ferb animated series. He was also in Spice World. And he identifies... What? Yeah, who, Richard what? O'Brien. Let me see who that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you'll want to keep it up because, spoiler alert, there's another reference somewhere in here to Spice World. Yeah, Meatloaf. Uh, Yes, and he identifies himself as a third gender Uh, or uh, he has transgender, but he has said some interesting transgender comments. So I will say he probably more feels like he's a third gender and maybe we'll get into that later. Maybe we won't. I'm sorry. Also, I I have to disagree that Rotten Tomatoes has Spice World at a rated as 34%. Oh, snap. Mm, I'll have to do that sometime. 2022. Or maybe (laughs) 21. Got a few few weeks left. Um, We have music by Richard Hartley, who also did Shock Treatment, Galileo, and the music in the remake of The Lady Vanishes. The director of photography is Peter Shostinsky. He also did Empire Strikes Back, Eastern Promises, and Mars Attacks. <laughs> I hated that movie. We went to see it in the movie theater. She despised it. <laughs> I was so disappointed because so many good people were in it. But it's a, but I think you wouldn't despise it if you rewatched it because it's like this. It was supposed to be making fun of those B sci-fi horror movies. Okay. Very schlocky kind of. The director is editor, or the the editor is Graham Clifford, who also did Bash, McCabe, and Mrs. Miller, and they directed the feature film Francis and also Gleaming the Cube. Starring Tim Curry as Dr. Frankenfurter, an eccentric transvestite scientist. Um, This was his film debut. He was also in Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, Loaded Weapon, and The Hunt for the Red October. Susan Sarandon as Janet Weiss, a heroine, Brad's fiance. She was also in Bull Durham, Thelma and Louise, Dead Man Walking, Feud, which was great, where she played Betty Davis. Nerd alert, she's really into ping pong and has a ping pong chain called Spin. And also, Susan Sarandon totally walks the walk when it comes to political activism. Yes, she does. Uh, We have Barry Bostwick as Brad Majors, a hero, Janet's fiance. Probably best know him as Major Randall Winston on Spin City. He was also in Weekend at Bernie's 2 and Spy Hard. He's also done a ton of stage. Yes. Richard O'Brien, as I mentioned, is Riff Raff, the hunchbacked handyman and Magenta's brother. Patricia Quinn is Magenta, a domestic Riff Raff's sister. She was also in Shock Treatment, Lords of Salem, Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. She's also the disembodied lips that is, those are her lips Mm. at the beginning of the film. But it is Richard O'Brien who is singing. So she's lip syncing to Richard O'Brien singing that first song. And Nerd Alert, 
her nephews are in the band Snow Patrol, which I thought oh. was funny because I'm like, ah, indie rock Snow Patrol. Man, mm-hmm. I listened to that one. I did love fun. that. Yeah. Nell Campbell, credited as Little Nell, is Columbia, a groupie. She was also in Shock Treatment, The Killing Fields, and Joe Gould's Secret. Jonathan Adams is Dr. Everett V. Scott, a rival scientist, was in Three for All, Jesus of Nazareth, and Revolution. Peter Heinwood as Rocky Horror, the a creation. He was also in Tamlin and Odessia. Um, Trevor White was his singing voice, so that wasn't him singing. Ah. Meatloaf as Eddie, ex-delivery mm. boy. I mean, you'll know Meatloaf with his Bad Out of Hell trilogy, which has sold more than 65 million albums worldwide. It's one of the best-selling albums of all time. His acting, he's been in numerous television shows, Fight Club, and Spice World, to name a few. And we have Charles Gray as the criminologist and expert. He was in Diamonds Are Forever, You Only Live Twice, and Cromwell. And those are the particulars. Outstanding. Well, the movie begins with a wedding and an engagement of Brad and Janet, who are guests at the wedding. They set out to visit Dr. Everett Scott as dark storm clouds form. It was going to be a night they were going to remember for a very long time. That was a quote from the movie. (laughs) As they are driving, a tire blows out. They remember a castle a few miles back and walk in the rain to the castle. What What could go go wrong? wrong? Uh, So we are to power of cast. And to, to, I'm sorry, our people of color count and then our power of cast. Oh, I didn't see anyone. Did anybody? Yeah, in the crowd. Yeah. Oh, in the, in the the, um, the all the people who were like dancing and singing. Oh, okay. There but they didn't have any lines. No they speaking parts. No speaking mm-hmm. parts. Okay, because I did get because usually I'm looking and I'll jot it down, but then I was I was just watching this and I got to my notes at the end and I put zero question mark because I'm like, I mean, no, yeah, there were a couple and not even like there were like I want to say like three black people, somebody of like uh, Middle Eastern descent, mm-hmm. and like. Uh, a little person. Mm. Yes. Yes. But kind of more so on, I, I don't know, on the like freak show in, not so exactly. much. Exactly. Exactly. I don't think there were any black people at the wedding. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, interesting about let's do the time warp again if you're a black person. <laughs> oh, right. where exactly are we time warping to? <laughs> okay, so as far as power of cast, the fact that none of the people of color had any lines in the movie, that has, that's definitely power of cast. I've got a couple. This first one... This is an example of what 
white supremacy does to your thinking. Because the Rocky Horror lips, those are iconic and everything. But suddenly I got this thought when I was watching the beginning of the movie and I was like, "Uh oh, because it's close up on the lips and it's just the lips over black and the lips are super red. And I was like, is does this have some sort of weird tie into blackface? It did cross my mind because if somebody if a performer was in the super blackface, you know, with the pole. Um, like, oh, oh, what's his face in Holiday Inn? And you were just zooming in on his lips. Wouldn't it not be the same effect? So everything that I could tell, there was nothing like that was that was just an aesthetic choice that they made. But I think it's an I'm only bringing it up like I'm not like, ah, fuck this movie. I'm not doing that at all. I'm only bringing it up because. Um that aesthetic and seeing it like that was something that people they showed in entertainment Uh and stuff Uh and so maybe that was not done on purpose but just oh that looks really cool but to somebody else's eyes it kind of did make me think of like oh that looks like blackface Uh lip even though I don't think that that has anything at all like the producer would be like oh my gosh no that's not in any way but I I was just like oh it did give me that thing of like am I is what what depends on what lens you're looking through yeah um then in 1975 the queer stereotypes so as far as like this, uh, man, just the just the negative queer stereotypes of hypersexualized, campy, sexual predator creates. Doctor Frankenfurter creates a sex slave. Um, he's actually chained up. He's also Rocky, the the you know the person that the creation is very childlike he doesn't have a mind really so that's kind of implied pedophilia um which is just such dangerous tropes for queer people and just played off right right right, right. you know kidnapper murderer cannibalist and then you find out at the end spoiler alert he's an alien so then it's just oh non-conforming people are otherworldly so you do have all of those that, that you're just like, oh, this is very kind of problematic when you look at it at that lens. But um, I heard a quote from John Waters, the famous director. And so the counterpoint to that would be his John Waters. He's a proponent of the importance of gaily incorrect. So, you know how you hear up like politically incorrect, but he's like, but this is gaily incorrect. And it's important to have things that aren't concerned with being sensitive and presenting queer people in admirable light. It's important to shake the rigid mainstream and have a blast doing it. Um, because that's also important too. And it's, it, it is important to point out the damaging stereotypes, but it's also important to point out that, you know, if queer people are going to, Nobody wants to see, you know, nobody in 1975 wanted to see admirable queer people. So the only way that there's something like this would get made is like to shake things up and at least have some fun with it and get in people's faces because they're not going to accept you as you are 
But if you can be outrageous and outlandish, then this is a step in the door. So those were my cast. I will say in 1975, I was living in Texas. So I don't even know if this was showing out oh, Texas in 1975. You'll probably have to go to Austin. Probably. Which we did every weekend. (laughs) I have something. Um, I mean, I think the big thing about Rocky Horror in general is it's a cult classic. Yes. I first heard about it as the play. And I remember watching it when I was in college for the first time and being like, oh, my God, I have to go see that live. And it's like still been some it's on my bucket list. You could, you know, you go see it live. And that's like a whole thing is like they put on a show every Saturday night, like for until the pandemic hit. This was, oh, show, this was yeah. every Saturday night. There's a performance of this in New York City somewhere. And in every big city. Every, yeah. I remember I've seen so many between Philadelphia, Los Angeles, just seeing on the marquees midnight oh. Rocky Horror Picture Show everywhere. I just, a girl that I used to work with who lives in San Francisco just went this weekend. And um, I think it's, well, that was one of my tasty nuggets. It's hold the record for the longest continually running movie release of all time. Well, I guess that doesn't mean anything. Anyway, oh, that it's that's quite impressive. Yeah, that movie yeah, is I was close just to fifty years old. Live, but so the one there's two. This is just going to be in my tasty nuggets, not in my POC. But I think it's applicable because then I read a an opposing article. So I'll start with the first one. Is like, I think I learned of it as like, it's just what something where all the people, other people, could feel like at home and. There was an article on bbc.com called Rocky Horror Picture Show, the film that saved lives. And one of the quotes in there was, um, I think it was somebody who used to perform in it. And they said, for a lot of people, Rocky Horror is like their home. It's their connection to everybody, all of their friends. I knew a lot of people whose lives were saved by this movie, especially those in the LGBT community. It's a place where they could be themselves and find people who were their family. And he was, I think this man was the one, I wish I had his name written down, but he started doing like, I mean, they were doing like Zoom Rocky Horror things for quarantine. Oh, wow. Where people were doing them and they did, they like renamed one of the songs to be something, you know, pandemic related or whatever. Um, But then... I came across another article in the Houston press called looking back the Rocky horror picture show hasn't aged that well. And it's by a fella named Jeff Rauner. And he wrote this in 2017. Um, I'll say it seems that the, the article from the first one that I read was from someone from the LGBT community. Mm-hmm. And I believe this is a straight white man. So it's kind of interesting that this is the person who's saying it hasn't aged well, mm-hmm. which might, you know, who are we to say anything? But um, he performed in Rocky Horror in Houston for many years. He met his wife there, and um, he was Frankenfurter most of the time. But 
a big thing that like the entry for anybody who's going to go see it live is anytime Janet comes on stage, they call her a slut. And so that, you know, obviously like that's not cool anymore. Right. Janet has sex twice in the movie. Like she's hardly the slut involved here. Right. Uh, when Brad comes up, they call him an asshole. And yeah. every time it's Janet, it's slut. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. He was just like, you know, we used to watch it all the, you know, I, I had a lot of fun doing it. Um, and then for many years, like my wife and I uh, watched it twice a year. Um, they were like Frankenfurter, like, you know, it was a cartoonish monster, but he's basically, he called him Buffalo Bill with better fashion sense. And he's <laughs> a sexual predator. Um, and then this was interesting to me. There was one time where um, there was going to be a ream. There was a ream. There was a remake, and Laverne Cox was Frankenfurter, mm-hmm. and everyone's like, "Oh yay, it's diverse." But I don't know. I don't. Is that really like like that's the big winning point, which is stepping stone? But the thing that I thought was most interesting of his, he said, a friend of mine once said that Rocky was LGBT cosplay for straight people. Uh, it's less of a boundary breaker and more of a chance for the comfortable to dip their coat, dip their toes in the perception of LGBT community. And I was like, that's kind of right. Like, I agree. I do. Yeah. Well, the, I, cause I read the same article about the guy in Houston and I was reading a whole bunch of different articles because there's, there are a whole bunch of articles pointing out all of the problematic tropes of rocky horror and how it hasn't aged well especially from transgender people mm-hmm. um and, yeah with the within the transgender community and stuff and then there's um also the and i'm not gonna i have never been to a show but it sounded like within the shows that it was that thing where there wouldn't a lot of times there wouldn't be gay bars near theaters and so that's why it also became a huge ltb lgb you know what i'm saying it became like that was a place to go for like-minded people and to meet other people in the community and have that sense of family Mm -hmm. but then it also i i was reading another i don't think it's that article but i think there was another article where they were talking about how the the people who were in charge of the performances were a lot of times were straight men. Mm-hmm. And so then like when you would have, if you were a virgin to the show, there's a point where they ask like all the virgins to come up and it got, it kind of got really um, predatory because oh. sometimes it would be, you know, like teenage girls coming up and they would have to strip down to their underwear and, um, grabbing of breasts and stuff and groping and it could really turn into a, I, I read it was somebody else's account of it and it was real um, it, like they were basically felt assaulted and they were like I went once and I'll never go back and they have oh, wow. completely different take on it because there were groups that weren't they you know it's not like the, the Rocky Horror groups were necessarily run by transgender or queer people uh-huh, and so uh-huh. 
there is an effort now to kind of clean that up and to make sure that everybody feels safe. And if you don't want to be a part of that, but then there's the other part of it for the people who are like old timey in it where they're like, but that's, but we like the dirtiness of it. We like the, Uh yeah. So it's that. I think that's why it's a cult classic rather than, you know, it's not like, Greece, where everybody can love the music and there's problem it's not perfect and right and it's but, it's it's not meant to be the anthem for the lgbtq community right. it's a it's a campy movie but yeah yeah but if you have straight men that are you know basically like what Teeny was saying, that they, like you're doing a tourist kind of thing. Right. And you can see how that could devolve very quickly. Yes. Into, well, great. Like, how far have we really come? Right. Like, that's, we, that's cool that you're going to have Laverne Cox play Frankenfurter, but then you're going to have Laverne Cox, who's a trans woman, play as a sexual predator. And yeah. like, now that's the perception, you know, like, yeah. That really, and that's like, is that really a win? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are some people who are not happy about that at all. And yeah. you can read their articles. They were yeah. very vocal about it. And it's, it is, it's just very interesting to see I mean, because I, the trans community is, isn't a monolith. So there's going to exactly. be different takes on it. And I only read two articles, but I did think it was ooh, sorry, interesting that the positive one was from someone from the lgbtq community the negative one was from like a straight white man who used to be in it Mm -hmm. but i think it's it's important to point out the the cast within it the 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 damaging stereotypes Mm -hmm. and it was good that he was able to see that yeah and then you can take it and be of of the times when we get into what happens in 1975, it's like, well, again, the 70s were wild. But you, right. once you know that and you have the context, then you can enjoy how just great and fun and over the top yeah. Tim Curry is and just oh my God. fantastic. But, uh, yeah, but then also know right now. Yeah. Of like, oh, well, this is problematic and, and why? And that's where it's a good education. But some people, they don't, they just take everything at face value and mm-hmm. you can see how that would be damaging. Right. So now we are to nerd alerts. We did a few. Mm-hmm. I have none. I have the, just to paint the picture in 1975. Yes. Other than your parents getting married. Parents got married in October of 19. So after this movie came out, so we won't get to October's events in this 1975 Wheel of Fortune premiered on NBC. Damn. Oh, you know what? We were just watching that tonight. Do you know? We were wondering how much Vanna White makes. Oh, because Adam said she's got the easiest job. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they light up the. She doesn't even have to know what the what the letters are all she has to do is turn them because the light comes up she's made so much money because really she is that show it's vanna white at this point these were 70 million dollars yeah holy crap her salary is 10 million Mm dollars yeah yeah guys but i have to say this 
she was able to work it so that she stayed with that show because you know they wanted to get rid of her she deserves it at least like 20 years ago exactly i remember that being a thing Mm -hmm. and and somehow she was able to stay so she had some kind of perseverance going on well because everybody knows vanna white she was able to take that and make it her name and she's vanna white have you ever heard of like oh vanna white scandal like has she said anything where you're like oh my god she's the perfect human being yeah she she might be a horrible human being we don't even know that's she could be she could be an alien yeah she could be she might be an alien it just might be but just make it and the, the thing is they don't they shoot those and they shoot a grip of them at a time mm-hmm. and then they're off really so she just yeah like, one day at work and then she's off pat sajak and vanna white have the job they do indeed pat sajak so Wonder, like, do, where do they live do you think they live in orlando because that sucks no, they live here no, in California. They're, they're, oh, yeah. I thought that was filmed as a live audience. Oh, yeah, okay, in California. Yeah. Sometimes they go, they have to go. Because every freaking prize they give away is to, like, Disney World. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they go on location sometimes. Mm-hmm. But, I mean. They are not in Rocky Horror Picture Show. Nice work if you can get it. So, yeah, yeah. that started in 1975. Ella Grasso becomes the first woman elected governor as the state of Connecticut because prior to there was another I think there were a couple of women who became governor but they succeeded their dead husbands and she was the yes. first woman who was voted in by the people. Well done, um, Allen. Space Mountain opens in Disney World. Wow. Margaret Thatcher comes to power in Britain. So the United States was going through a touch of an energy crisis, so much so that they wanted to have daylight savings start two months early. (laughs) Can you imagine that today? There's no way that you'd have people who like refuse to abide by it. And oh, so yeah. have half of the people and nobody would know what time it was. And it would be like, you can't tell me that we're moving up for daylight savings yeah. time. That would be gas cool. lines. Gas. Like if your license plate ended with an even or odd, that de- determined if you could get gas that day. Can you imagine if y'all had uh, social media back then? Just. Oh, Saigon fell. So. At least the Vietnam War came to an end. Although, look at the um, Saigon fell, same as Kabul. So, kind of yeah. crazy how that happened. The a Japanese woman, Junko Tabei, Tabei, became the first woman to summit Mount Everest. Oh. Jaws was released in 1975 in the summertime. Yes, it was. Yes. And then here's something that I found a little interesting. Mm. In 1975, President Ford, who we'll get into uh, in my reheatables, why it's President Ford in 1975, because, uh, you know, a little something happened in the uh, 
70s, the early 70s to make it so that um, President Ford is President Ford. And he he did all that man. You know what that you know what Ford liked to do? He liked to do a lot of pardoning. <laughs> yes, he that did. was his thing. But he also posthumously restores the U.S. citizenship of General Robert E. Lee in 1975. So <laughs> at the end of the Way Civil to go, War, Jerry. Yeah, Jerry. Way to go. For, he, but he's doing it for, for the country, for the good of the nation, to bring everybody back together. Yeah. Okay. So a little bit of history. At the end of the Civil War, when it ended, pretty much everyone was granted amnesty and pardons. Um, by everyone, I mean the people who fought for the South and were considered traitors to the United States of America, a.k.a. the Union. But everybody, in the name of bringing the country back together, they were like, all right, we forgive you, give you pardons and amnesties. But some of the people up, the uh, higher ups, the ones in charge, they were like, eh, not so fast. Um, so they would have to sign uh, an oath of allegiance. And Robert E. Lee signed the oath of allegiance because Robert E. Lee, he wasn't big on slavery. I'm not saying he the, the man was a saint by any means, but he was a son of Virginia. And so the reason that he went to the Confederacy it was because Virginia was in the Confederacy. He really didn't have any political gains, but whatever. He did lead the Confederates, so and they lost. And so, you know, they were like, hey, you're you're no longer a US citizen and all of this stuff. And he wanted to he he personally asked for his citizenship to be restored. He wanted that in his lifetime. And because we know what happened to Lincoln, bullet in the brain. So Andrew Johnson was the president, and Andrew Johnson was a Southerner because that's how Lincoln was able to get votes. And so yeah, when the Civil War ended and stuff, Johnson was very sympathetic to the Southern causes and hence all the pardons and amnesties and all of that. So Johnson was like, yo, Lee, just sign this oath saying that you got the U.S.'s back and we'll put in the paperwork and stuff. So <laughs> he was never pardoned and his citizenship was never restored because his application was never processed. And so in 1975, that's what Ford and all of them used to be like, oh, it was just a clerical error. That's why Lee's citizenship was never granted and that's why we're going to do it now in 1975. But that's not the real reason, because it wasn't a clerical error. Really, the Secretary of State at the back at the end of the Civil War was William Seward, and he was a radical Republican. Now, remember, when in those times when you were a radical Republican, you were completely against slavery. So he was a firm opponent of slavery, and he was like, oh, my man, look ye here. Oh, Robert E. Lee wants his citizenship back in the United States after, after look what y'all went and done did and now you want your citizens and he's like nah man I'm just gonna just leave it here and Seward was just the captain of Petty and just left it on the desk and never processed it because he was like no man oh wait you really want your citizenship back guess what nope 
not going to happen. Right. Until Mr. Pardoner Pardoner comes to power in 1975 and then posthumously grants Grant or that Grant Lee his citizenship. So I just thought that that was uh, just very interesting. I think that everybody who participated in January 6th should lose their citizenship. They obviously don't want to be, you know, part of our country. So it's clerical error. Oh, clerical yeah. error. <laughs> we need we need C word back. Yeah. William <laughs> C word was like, nah, fuck you <laughs> and that horse that you are standing on the statue in too. That's right. You're going to die a man without a country, motherfucker. <laughs> that statue's coming down, too. Mm-hmm. So the top five films of 1975, number five, was The Return of the Pink Panther. Mm-hmm. Number four was Dog Day Afternoon. Mm-hmm. Number three was Shampoo. Number four was One, Through Over the Cuc- one Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And the number one film of 1975 was... Da-da. Mm. Jaws. Yep. So the Oscar nominated best films of 1975 Nashville, Jaws, Dog Day Afternoon, Barry Lyndon, and the winner was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It was, it's very good. We we'll have to do it. Yeah. There are a lot of movies from 1975 that we have to do. It was, it, yeah, it was prolific. Mm-hmm. Christine, any nerd alerts? Other than the ones you've already given us. Nerd alert. No. <laughs> so we are two reheat a bulls. I have a feeling this is there's gonna be a lot. Janet white shoes. Okay. She was on her honeymoon. Yeah. Uh, not a problem, except she walked in the rain. Miles in those white shoes? Well, she didn't have a choice. She, oh, come the blisters. But she was on her honeymoon, so you'd think she would have had some, like, tennis shoes. Yeah. I, I guess that's the patriarchy of 1975. It was no. No, Janet. Wait, were she on her honeymoon, or were they just, like... No, they were just engaged. They, yeah. they had just gotten oh, engaged. Oh, okay, never mind. Yeah, okay. And actually, those shoes were... Very similar to the ones I wore on my wedding day, and um, uh, uh, pretty pretty plasticky. Uh, <laughs> and I couldn't wear them all the way through my wedding day, so I'm. Did just you saying. make it through the vows, or did you kick them off midway through the vows? No, I kept them on through the through that and the reception in the uh, hall at the education center <laughs> reception. Yeah. Okay. So, um, um, oh, okay. Mm. Wait. Yeah. Keeping people against their will. I mean, they wanted to leave. <laughs> that, that is a bad, that is definitely a bad reheatable. I agree with that mm-hmm. one. Thank you. Definitely not good. Those were my negatives. After, after we heard, oh, I have a feeling we're going to have a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you guys are. I said WTF is with all movies starting about or being about marriage. Yes, the last several we've done. Brand new married people, newly engaged. 
I have throwing the bouquet. Like, yeah. that's, come on. Oh. I threw my bouquet, and again, it was in the the downstairs of the education building. Did a student catch it? No, because it hit the ceiling. It came oh, right God. back down to me. <laughs> it went in one of the tiles, the tiled ceiling. So you caught your own bouquet? Did that mean, I bet everybody was in, like, you know everybody had a pool going for when your marriage was going to end. And you and know what? Or when the, when the baby was going to be born. They knew I had to be pregnant. <laughs> uh, I rethrew it, but... You're like, well, wonder who my second husband will be then. <laughs> and then I had Janet fainting, which I was like, that was like in the in Black Cat. Yes, you know, all this fainting. fainting all the time. Mm-hmm. Hold it together. Um, and that's as far as I got with my negatives. I just think I stopped writing them down. All right, well, I got Rocky's hair. You made a specimen of man like that, and then you just phone in his wig piece? Yeah, that was pretty bad. Yeah, horrible hair. Yeah, he did have bad hair. The term transvestite is now considered outdated. Yes. Mm -hmm. Men who dress as women for sexual pleasure are different. That's totally different from a transgender person. And yes. I believe that the current nomenclature would be a cross-dresser. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, I wrote that down in my negatives, but I didn't do the research. So I'm glad you did. Although I'm a big, I was in college and stuff. I was a big fan of Eddie Izzard and he described himself as an executive transvestite. And so I do wonder if that's still a thing that he would, but he would it's one of those things where like he's allowed to say like if a somebody right. who dresses up in women's clothes for sexual pleasure wants to describe themselves funnily as a transvestite, then I have nothing to say about them. They can right. call themselves that. Exactly. If that's but just in if you're out and about in the world, that's not a term that you should just be dropping. Exactly. Um. Let me see. Oh, we already did that about the the whole like cast and the the dangerous tropes. And oh, we, and we already did that about like the live shows and stuff. So those are my negative reheatables. Mm-hmm. So now we are to positive ones. Okay, I like the diverse crowd. I wish that more diverse people had more lines in it. You know. Yeah, I was watching uh-huh. that, and I th- I said to Adam, I was like, oh, it's pretty diverse. I love when Frankenfurter uses the electric knife at the dinner to stop the talk that he doesn't want going on. Uh, <laughs> next Christmas, this coming Christmas, that's going to be me sitting right here with my electric knife. And anytime something oh, up, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like that for two reasons. One, because I sit next to you, and two, because Tommy will probably be sitting next to you, and Tommy is is tall enough where that could be dangerous. But he's so polite. He is, but that doesn't yeah. like. <laughs> yeah, but I did love it. Um, 
the the Hedvig vibes as well as the Princess Bride vibes. The Princess Bride? What? Because of the narrator coming in and talking. Mm. You know how Grandpa would come in and talk to Fred Savage? Mm -hmm. And uh, that reminded me of the guy who would come in and and talk in the middle of this. Mm. Uh, The criminal. Also seen in the movie Elf. Oh. Ah. Which we just learned that Will Ferrell turned down like $29 million to do a sequel. That lets you know how Will Ferrell's doing. I'm not doing a sequel if it's not good. Mm. Well done. And well done for, you know, having enough in the bank that he doesn't have to do the Mm -hmm. 20. I'll do it. He's (laughs) like, oh, that's it? (laughs) No. And Barry Bostwick was pretty good dancing in those high heels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Rocky, uh, not so much. But Barry Bostwick, he had it going on. See? Others? Um, I had the intro with the lips. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pretty iconic. Cigarette holders are a great idea. Why don't people use those anymore? Oh. Seems like it would keep your, like, hands from getting smoky. Yeah, yellowy, right? Yeah. Keep it away from your teeth as much. Mm -hmm. Janet's nameplate necklace. Oh, man. Those are just all the reasons. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Before Carrie on Sex in the City. I mean, yeah. everybody got one after Carrie, but there was Janet with it way back in 75. I know. I got a, um, I found one very cheap on Amazon that says Chandler. Oh. But then I never wear it because it looks cheap. So one of these days I'll get the real thing. Um, Adam, Sting. are you listening? The Chandler nameplate. <laughs> Ring, gold, gold ring, ring. Um, stained glass. Yes. Do you love me some stained glass? Um, this is not necessarily for myself, but I had to put corsets because they're all the rage right now. Really? Mm-hmm. Which is kind of weird, but it's like so in style, and. The amount of teenage girls I have coming in asking for corsets. It's like, wow. Oh, yeah. You wear them with your baggy denim. Yeah. Erin, you had one. I had a corset? You had a corset? Yeah, for your, um, was it the homecoming dance? Well, it does sound fun. Oh, yeah, Yeah, that's all she wore. Yeah. That was it. Torn fishnets in the corset. I was ahead of, I guess I wasn't ahead of my time. Ha <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are you for real? Do you have a picture? No, I had, it was, she I had wore a dress. an undergarment. Oh, I thought, I believed you. Yes, oh, she no, did. we're not wearing this under anything. This is like, you're no, wearing. Yeah, but I mean, I was like modest and w- used it as it was oh, intended. Like it's, yeah. Intended purpose. It's not. Yeah. This was before Spanx. That's how old I am. 
Which, oh my God, did you see what this founder of Spanx did? No. No? So apparently she, Spanx was created by a woman, actually. Yes. Surprisingly. Um, most things are made by not women mm-hmm. that are successful. And she, I mean, she used to go door to door selling fax machines, I think it said. Oh my and God. And she made Spanx. And she said, like, at one point she said, this is going to, Mac, um, she was like, I'm going to be the first, this company is going to be the first one to make X amount of money. I can't remember the stats, but they just hit some big milestone. And last week as a celebration, she gave every single employee two first class plane tickets to anywhere in the world and $10,000. Wow. She, and she was like, oh, I when you guys go on your trip, you're going to want some money to spend or like stay at a nice hotel. I figure you want to go out to a nice dinner. So, yeah. Bravo. Wow. All employers out there. That's what people want. They don't yes. want to party. Yeah. Yes. When, when you're, when you work for a company and you're able, like their quarterly things are reported on the news and so people report on them and then you read them and they're like oh they've done outstanding and shattered all records and then you're going to start picking your benefits and stuff it's just it's just it's just it's just rough it's just real rough just makes your employees feel real rough oh you're like Oh, but but then meanwhile, this woman in Spanx, which is a great company, by you know, it makes a lot, and that that had to cost her a pretty penny. But she's well, like, hey, well, she is the youngest self-made female billionaire. Yeah, but she—that's all stuff. Billionaire she, But that's that's very pricey. But that you know that goes up there. So instead of maybe sending out every month a survey asking about burnout, you just look and think of like, oh, just a a little bit more connect. (laughs) She, um, I guess the milestone is that global investment firm Blackstone is buying a majority stake in Spanx, which is valued at an estimated $1.2 billion deal. But the best part was she went about this in like total Oprah fashion. Yeah. I, watched, I watched the video. It was cute because she had her kid. She has like a five-year-old or something. She had her daughter with her, which is, you know, oh, I care about family. Um, but she said she had a globe. And she said, why am I spinning a globe? <laughs> and then she said that she announced that she like bought them tickets. And that wasn't all. You know, if you have a trip, you might want to go to a really nice dinner or stay in a really nice hotel. So with everybody's two first class tickets to anywhere in the world, you're each getting $10,000. And it was like Oprah's Christmas party where they're wow. like, ah. can you imagine no, Whoa. I can't. Cynical me, I'd be like, what's the tax situation? <laughs> yeah, well, there's that. <laughs> right? oh, was, she Listen. said one day, um, she did go, she sold fax machines door to door so she could afford insurance. And she said, this company, I said, this company will one day be worth $20 million. And everyone laughed at me. And she toasted all the women who came before her and all the women in the world who have not had this opportunity. Um. And she said, while well, 50% of entre- entrepreneurs are women, they receive only 2.3% mm-hmm. of venture capital. 
Um, yeah. yeah. That's I, nice. No idea. Oh, that was about course corsets. Okay. Mm -hmm. Corsets, yes. Um, the face mask design has needed no changing or updating. Did you see there was like a guy, like one of the nurses or something was wearing a face mask? Yes. Face mask we're wearing now. Yes. Exactly. Uh-huh. Don't reinvent the wheel. Sometimes the wheel does not need to be reinvented. Because it was invented. <laughs> Turns out. <laughs> are, they, are this the positive reheatables? Yes. Somehow. Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course, that's for the style, uh, not comfort. Comfort negative. No. Yes. The style. Yeah. Is, is that all teeny? Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah, I gotta go to Rocky. I mean, that man had eight abs. <laughs> he was. Yeah, he looked good. If you just, if you just like put your thumb over his horrible hair, it was like. Mm. All right, damn. A paper bag would do. <laughs> um, I thought the the start of the movie, you know how it, it's when they're at the wedding and the guy, the Brad's friend, and they're having that scene, and so you're like, okay, it's over the top. But how they kept touching? Yes, I got I definite like, vibes. I was just like, why do they keep touching each other like that? And then when you go later to the film, you're like, oh, mm -hmm. that was on purpose. Because mm -hmm. I was just like, what is it? Are they supposed to be just okay? Yeah. Who, like, who just uh, got married here? That yeah. whole entry scene was really fun. Mm -hmm. the dance and them going to the church and when they then they're like when the church was turning it from a wedding to a funeral and is that the dan it damn it janet damn it janet yeah yeah because i that did make me laugh and then that sets up like oh this is what this guy this movie is gonna be you know yes. it really sets the scene yes um so they this movie opened in 1975 but as they're driving they're listening to Nixon's yes. resignation, which happened on August 8th, 1974. Yes. Mm. So yes. I, I wonder what that I didn't look up what was different between the movie and the stage production because I was like, oh, well, the stage production opened. It was in 1973. So Nixon was still doing Nixon -y things. So that was just a, a thing that they put in because it was topical and it just works so well. I read that somebody said, well, he could have had it on a cassette tape and he was replaying it in the car. That's like, don't mm -hmm. work that hard. Just let it go. No, you know? Yeah. Hey, babe. I got a, I got Nixon's resignation eight track. Yeah, we just got engaged. Let's listen to this. Or I got the Doobie Brothers. What do you want to listen to? <laughs> Uh, oh. Or I got a little thing called space funk. Let's listen <laughs> to that. Oh, I got this hot, I got this hot jam space funk. Man, you should hear the break in this. Oh, and then she just starts rapping and it's like, oh my God. It Damn becomes it. a whole different movie. I like the whole RKO, the RKO mm -hmm. picture and the whole, all of the references, the classic movies mm -hmm. and classic horror Lots movies. of references, yeah. So oh, many I references. I have a list of those. Yeah. Um, I love how influential this movie was, especially since we 
pretty recently did Hedvig and the Angry Inch. Yes. Rocky mm-hmm. Horror was always mentioned with that. And then seeing it, you're like, oh. And also just the story of the music Rocky Horror show and how that was so small and such a stage thing. And it really mirrored um, Hedvig and the Angry Inch. Yeah. Yep. And then the whole going and making it a film and stuff. Um, also... It also influenced Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses. Oh, which we did. Uh-huh. Um, the makeup was by Pierre Laroche, who yes. was a famous makeup artist. He did Mick Jagger, and he is responsible for David Bowie's Ziggy Stardust and the famous Aladdin Sane. And it totally made sense when I saw his the makeup. I, yep. I wondered. I was like, yo, because that's around the same kind of time. And so it, it just shows the influence of that and glam yeah. rock and stuff. And it's like. I was yo, thinking about are. David Bowie the whole time. Me too. Mm-hmm. Me too. And the designer, Sue Blaine, she was. Um, so it's funny because she was. They, she wasn't up and coming. She had been established. And the corset that Tim Curry wore in, I don't know if it was in the movie, but definitely in the stage show was because he had done another stage production and she was the costume designer. So the corset that he wore in that production was the corset that he wore in Rocky Horror. So he was familiar with course wearing corsets. And she didn't want to be she didn't really want to do the movie because she didn't have a, she had a full slate mm-hmm. and so it wasn't, and they weren't going to be able to pay her cause it was minimal budget. So she had to have a good time doing it and she got drunk with the director and then she saw Tim Curry and a bunch of her friends from London and read the script. And so she's like, all right, I'll do it. She didn't do any research about science fiction or anything. She's like spacesuit. We know what that looks like. For Brad and Janet, who were Americans, at that point, she had never been to America, but she just like phoned it in with stereotypes and pretty much nailed it. She's credited with um, like really starting that look of the punk fashion that would emerge because oh. like in 19, I remember 1972 because Mark Bowen and T-Rex was huge. And so you have Iggy Pop, David Bowie, glam rock going on. And then you're starting to also get into the beginnings of the punk movement and punk music. Uh-huh. And people saw this and the torn fishnets, the brightly dyed hair. Um, that was super influential. And now when you watch the movie, you just, it's basically a hot topic, you know, that the, wasn't that a, a store like hot in the, well, when I was in high school, that was a store and you would go, you go there, get the dog collars. Yeah. Yeah. The, the fish nets and stuff. Um, so yes, yeah, it was suit and glitter and she was really big into ushering that in. So those are my good reheatables. Outstanding. So now we're to quotables. I have the very first scene is the wedding and on the car that they're driving away from is my first quotable. She got hers. Now he'll get his. Oh, yeah. Mm. See, we didn't have a car to leave the church in because (laughs) we we just had to walk across the street. Um, (laughs) We forgot to arrange that as well. We had to walk to the after party. Yeah. My, 
feet felt it for 14 days. Everybody was very angry at me because I had brought a change of clothes and tennis shoes. So I quickly changed and was just just kicking up my heels and the looks I got from all the women. Oh my I, gosh. I just did not want to be in sneakers in my wedding dress. I said I'm not no. a quitter. Yeah, I understood. Right. It wasn't my wedding day though. So I yeah. was completely no. like I agree. We're ready for everything. Okay, my other one is even smiling makes my face ache. <laughs> I miss that. Oh my God. Good one for all of us. I need to write that might be yeah. a quote of the year. That could be your quote of the year. I have a lot of these. Even smiling makes my face ache. I know it's gonna be hard to pick one this year. Mm-hmm. It really is. Other quotables. I have I'll remove the cause, but not the symptom. Oh. When he, when he gets up, it was just like, oh my gosh. It was just, like, I just loved it. Um, don't dream it, be it. Mm-hmm. Isn't that in that song about, if you can, okay. Never Are mind. you going to sing R. Kelly on this podcast, Ma? Oh, my gosh. I believe I can fly. Yes. And that has been canceled. Yeah, we're not allowed to listen to that anymore. That's too bad. It was a good song, but yeah, he deserves to be canceled. So goodbye. I mean, I I don't cancel. I have a very, I'm very tolerant and whatnot, but R. Kelly is. Bye-bye. No, I'm out. Bye-bye. Teach their own, but not. Nope, I'm done. Um, you're like a sponge. You take, 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 and drain others of their love and emotion. Mm-hmm. Some people like that. Mm-hmm. I do, too. They're narcissists. <laughs> um, and they are very close. <laughs> very, very close. <laughs> Janet, Dr. Scott, Janet, Brad, Rocky. And they just, like, repeat it. Yeah. Um. I'm a bee with a deadly sting. <clears throat> and so come up to the lab and see what's on the slab. I see you shiver with anticipation. <laughs> there were so in the lyrics of the songs, there just like mm-hmm. with Hedvig, there were so many things in the lyrics of the songs. Mm-hmm. So that's what I have. I had when they're well, we all have different ones. When they're um all the motorcyclists, they're mm-hmm. like driving, all the motorcyclists are going by. And Brad said, Yes, Janet, life's pretty cheap for that type. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is funny because then, then they were all in there, they were like, Hey, do you guys have any tattoos? <laughs> <laughs> I do. Um, and then you know, they go in there and everybody's doing the time warp and Brad goes, hey, one of you guys know how to Madison? Oh, yeah. I didn't get that. I I just figured like a Madison was like a really boring white people dance. Yeah, like the Charleston. I don't know where it is, but. um, <laughs> And then <laughs> he said, um, and then Brad goes, it's just a party, Janet. Yeah. He's rude. Yeah, very condescending. Um, and then when they stripped them down, 
the Frankenfurter said, what charming underclothes you both have. And that just made me laugh because my mom would always tell me like, you have to make sure you wear clean underwear because what if you get in a car wreck and you have to get in an ambulance. And then she had that happen to her one time. And the per like the, the guy, the ambulance guy was cute. And she was like, you know, good thing I had clean underwear on. Oh. So that's just a piece of advice that stuck with me. Like, what if you get into this situation? And <laughs> I would not feel good about what I had on. I've heard, I've heard that before. So much so that I've put on a questionable pair of underwear and I've done the knock on wood of like the actual knock on wood of like, oh, let this not be the day. And then I'm mm -hmm. like, wait. And then the other voice in my head comes in and chimes in and is like, wait, seriously. That's the least of your worries if that's the case. Yeah, I used to hear that about holes in my underwear. Not <laughs> that's the difference between us, Christine. My mother was worried about holes because it's such a visual, as opposed to whether they're clean or not. Go ahead and wear dirty ones. Well, I think that's what she meant as like nice ones. Yeah. Like presentable ones. Like we all have the ones where we're like, oh, I hope this isn't the day. But yeah. also, you know. I'm I'm guessing that they've seen some things and, oh, yeah. already and know I don't... that I don't wash my bras. So Well, we all do know that. That's true. But we did but... learn from Hedvig not to put them in the dryer. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. So we are to LVPs. Okay. My LVP is the vertigo inducing spin at the end of the movie. Oh, yeah, you don't like that. You do that. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I, I was missing stuff. But, no, I can't do the vertigo spin. Mm. Mine, and I didn't look too much into this. But mine was, like, being too rooted in tradition that you can't change and update things. Like this is still like people still do the live productions of this and mm -hmm. maybe there are ones that are being produced out there that are like put on out there that they're not calling Janet a slut or doing, I you hope know, so. taking the clothes off of any of the, you know, but, um, sexualizing minors. Yes. Yeah. So mine was like, it still seems like a thing that you could put on as a celebration of finding your people and coming together. And, mm -hmm. um, but let's kind of update it to be the 2021 version. Yeah. Let's take out transvestites. Yeah. And put cross-dressers or whatever the, the appropriate term at the time is. Well, I did have a quote that I found because when you mentioned like Laverne Cox and stuff, because, you know, she's, one of those people who is um, definitely um, in the forefront of explaining transgender rights and that kind of thing. And so when she was playing the role of Dr. Frankenfurter, people asked her, like, well, Trent, like, you're going to have to sing Sweet Transvestite. Like, you know, we've been on the record of saying that that's an outdated word. What do you have to say? And she said, quote, Historically, the terms have changed, and it doesn't mean the same thing today that it meant in the 70s. It's not appropriate to refer to trans people as transvestites today, but it is used here as the character. It is used here as the character in that specific moment in history. And so yeah, the article I, that I was. 
Yeah, you can't because you can't change. You can't yeah. like people can change, but we can't change the film. So right. it's yeah, it's, and so, I think that's the thing that I'm pointing at is like that's part of the interaction with the mm-hmm. thing is like slut, whatever, all this other stuff, taking the clothes off. The, but like, let's just leave that. Keep all the rest, you know. Yes. Yeah. And that's a term, like as Frankenfurter, that was the term that they were owned. That was what they were describing themselves as, you know? Yeah. yeah that's true. That's true. And I think I, and at the time, I wasn't being used as a negative connotation. Yes. True. Yeah. Sometimes, like, there, there's nuance in stuff to, to suss out. Go ahead. So we have, we have this, uh, we have a Halloween playlist at work. And, Almost the whole soundtrack is on it, but it doesn't play like in a row, you know, it's just a playlist on shuffle. Yeah. And so when we were watching this, Adam was like, oh my God, we play this at work. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, I had no idea the context. So we play sweet, um, <laughs> sweet transvestite. <laughs> and he was like, I had no idea the context. So I was just like, hmm, this is interesting. This is- <laughs> mm-hmm. a song not knowing what it is about. <laughs> okay, everybody do their L's. Oh, I didn't do my L's. Um, my I struggle with an LVP, so I went with Riff Raff because he kills Frank, Columbia, and Rocky, and I was just like, oh, I'll go with. I'll go with Riff Raff mm-hmm. then. That, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. he's a murderer. I mean, we, we say a lot of the, the the things about it, you know, the problems with it, but it's just to point it out. I don't I don't condemn the film of like, ah. Oh. I just think that, yeah, it's yeah, it just, it is what it is, but it's part of like the learning and, and educating yourself. And then you may personally draw a line because of your experiences in your mm-hmm. life. And maybe you're not a big fan of it because it does this and you've lived this certain way and that's fine on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't believe I had never seen it. It was so much fun. My MVP. Mm-hmm. Well, my MVP is Tim Curry. I mean, he was perfection, especially in those heels. He was so good in the heels. He was so beautiful. He was just really beautiful and funny and hilarious. Oh, oh perfection. It's like it it's like when we did Hedvig and we're listing off all the ways that Hedvig is a horrible person, but we're just like, but hell of an entertainer. <laughs> exactly. Just hell of a character. Um I had a runner-up, well, the soundtrack. I had two MVPs. Mm-hmm. The soundtrack. Oh, man. So many bops. Loved it. But then my MVP was also my LVP. And that was the tradition. Yeah. And I love that it's still mm-hmm. a thing that people do. And I think there's a lot of people who do find use it as a, who have found their pl- place. And I could, you know, people who maybe, like, yeah, okay, it's an easy way for, like, people to their water, but it's I think it's also a safe place for you know somebody who may be worried about coming out or you know not knowing how to get involved in that community who identifies with it and I mean I, I don't know I'm just speculating from things that right. I've read but right 
Um, yeah, both things can be true. That's, I mean, that's, yeah, that basically boils down what we're trying to say is that they can be yeah. very problematic on one hand, but it, it can also be wildly inclusive and awesome and amazing and they don't cancel mm -hmm. each other out. You just have to hold space in your head to, to handle both of the things. I have honorable mention Tim Curry because just fantastic. Um, but my real MVP is the movie Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein and just the old timey horror films because those like we've done them a bunch in the last month and then just to see all of the references like Bride of Frankenstein her hair shows up I think Magenta does that like the whole making a a creation and that he's just a super hot bod and not all dead and mangled. And, and then in 19, <laughs> in 1974, so a year before this, a movie that we haven't done, but we are definitely going to do it. Uh, young Frankenstein comes oh, God, out. Yes. I know we almost watched that the other night. And so, yeah, so you have Young Frankenstein, which was, I believe it was a hit. It's super influential and very funny. And then you have this coming out. And, it, you know, those movies, the Frankenstein movies came out in the 30s. And right. then I, I have more in the Tasty Nuggets about Hammer Studios. Um, so later, like, we'll get into that. And, like, because Britain had its own version of those things in the 30s and it's just crazy how much it still was just lives on and how influential it was i know i thought that it was a very good way to wrap up monster month it was yes. perfect oh it was perfect so we are to recasting <laughs> so um i did frank janet and brad I did Rocky with that in addition. I didn't yeah. do Rocky. Well, mine is weird, so just... Okay. So, uh, I'm happy with my Frank. The other two, they'd be great. They'll be great. So, my Janet is Kiki Palmer. Kiki Palmer's in all of our films. <laughs> she is. Because she comes up first on my feed. And my Brad is another that I go to frequently, Anthony Mackie. Yes. Because, I mean, he's got to be kind of good looking. And so my Frank had to be like a, like a punk rocker, Lenny Kravitz. Oh, that would be pretty good. Uh, uh, so I was happy with Lenny. So yours? Okay, so for my recasting, because I was stumped, so I decided that I was going to do, I was going to take another film that came out in 1975 and recast it with those actors. So the movie I picked that also came out in 1975 was Dog Day Afternoon. Oh, God, are you <laughs> kidding me? Al Pacino is Frank? No, Brad is Al Pacino. Okay. Al Pacino is Brad. Carol Kane is Janet. Okay, she could definitely be Janet. John Cazale is Rocky. And then I thought that this is like, hear me out because this is, uh, what do you call that? That Gone with the Bushes synchronicity. 
my Frank is Chris Sarandon because in Dog Day Afternoon, he played Elizabeth Eden, who was Al Pacino's character's. Uh, that's the reason for the Dog Day Afternoon. And in real life, Chris Sarandon was married from 1967 to 1979 to one Susan Tomlin, better known as Susan Sarandon. Oh, wow. Okay, well, I'm going to have to look him up. So there you have it. Are you ready for mine? What? Mind blown. I have an always sunny cast. <laughs> yes, do it. So for Janet, we have Sweet D. Yeah. Brad, we're doing Dennis. Oh, I know they're awkward. brother and sister, yeah. but you know, it's <laughs> we're not paying attention to they they do weird things all the time. Mm-hmm. Frankenfurter is Frank. Um Rocky is Mac. <laughs> yeah. And, and then Riff Raff is Charlie. And then all of the people dancing to the time warp are the McPoyles. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> oh, well done. That is good. Okay, so we are to Tasty Nuggets. Well, uh, we talked a lot about the interactive part of the musical theater version. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I read that in 1973, David Bowie's first wife, Angie, gave the first audience participation callback when she yelled, no, don't do it, as Riff Raff threatened to zap Frankenfurter with a laser gun. Really? Wow. Um, I also have, I, I was like looking up movie references and there were just too many to even write down all of them, but some of them, not, maybe not all of them. Frankenstein, Dr. X, the Invisible Man, King Kong, Bride of Frankenstein, the day the earth stood still, when worlds collide, came from outer space, the night of the hunter, Tarantula, curse of the demon, day of the Triffids. Band of the Outsiders, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Wow. Curse of the Frankenstein, Rope. So, mm-hmm. there were a lot. Um, also, Frankenfurter's Castle was used in a bunch of other movies, such as The Curse of Frankenstein, The Evil of Frankenstein, and Dracula. Yes. That's the Hammer Films productions. They specialized in gothic... They're a British company, British Gothic horror and fantasy films in the mid-50s through the 70s. And a lot of the props they used in this. So it's kind of like their version of... Like somewhere in between, like when Universal was doing their monster movies. So they were kind of doing that, but later. And they were lower budget than what Universal was doing. Like later and smaller budget, um, but when they did this movie, they went to their, they shot it like where their studios was and just raided in their props and reused a whole bunch of stuff. Is this Hammer as in Army Hammer? 
Um, I don't know his family. I, I don't be knowing his peoples, so I don't know if uh, if, okay. if it, this is a a succession type hammer okay. dynasty we got going on. That's, I, I, don't I know. just wondered. Okay. Or is it of Armin Hammer fame? The oh. famous baking soda. I don't. I don't Great be knowing him. Uh, a decent one, actually. And then my last one is if you're on TikTok, or even if you're not, take some looks. There's a bunch of, I mean, a ton of Rocky Horror um, videos being made. Uh, a lot of costumes happening this year for Rocky Horror, but one of the big trends on TikTok is like, using a song like starting with a blank face and then it shows the process of like putting your makeup on to, to, to do like this like crazy fun makeup i saw a really good one of uh with the anticipation and oh. put it on and then like sat there for so long and then when they flipped their head it was like the made up oh well, that's fun um so if you're on TikTok, just search some Rocky Horror stuff on there. There's a lot of there was a lot of stuff going around this past week. Excellent. Hey. Do you have any, Ma? I have several. Oh. Okay. This was filmed from October through December in Bray, England, hmm. where it was always wet and cold. And there was only one room with a space heater. So they would always go to that little room because they were wet and cold. And both uh, Susan Sarandon and Barry, uh, Barry, I, I have BB, Barry Boswick uh, got sick. Susan Sarandon got pneumonia. Yeah. He got really sick. Um, okay, so the one room with the space heater eventually caught on fire. <laughs> so That's why we can't have nice things. <laughs> Tim Curry met with Charles and Diana um, and because Diana loved this movie. And she said it quite completed her education. Oh. So, you know, Charles was probably. Yeah. Oh. Um, so this movie killed Diana is what you're saying? I am not. <laughs> when Dr. Scott crashes through the wall. It's because the set designer forgot to put a door in that wall. <laughs> oh um, Frank was uh, a pansexual. I, I don't remember who said that. Now, it, on his green gown, he had a pink triangle. <clears throat> and in the concentration camps, gay men had to wear a pink triangle that pointed down to say they were gay. And this one pointed up and it was supposed to be um, gay pride that showed gay pride if the pink triangle was pointing up. Oh, oh. interesting. Uh -huh. Steve Martin auditioned for the part of Brad. Steve oh. Martin. Would have been a whole different uh, picture. Well, I don't know about that. Like Steve, because think of him in um, Only Murders in the Building. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, he could play. Yeah. It. Quotation mark straight. Um, 
Vincent Price was offered the criminologist role, oh. but he had a scheduling conflict. Damn. Sucks. Mick Jagger really wanted to be Frank, but they did, they wanted to keep their stage people in it. I'm so yeah. glad they did because I totally saw Mick Jagger and David Bowie through the whole thing. Yeah. Um, Barry Bostwick and Susan Sarandon were dating during this. Oh. I guess they were both at the height of, I mean, I don't want to say height. They were both very attra- young and attractive. Right. So. And at the beginning of their. At the beginning. Their, okay, Although, wait a second. <clears throat> uh, but Susan Sarandon is still technically married to Chris Sarandon at this time. <laughs> It was 1975. Just legally. I'm just saying. I'm just pointing out the numbers. Just the years. Okay. You know the skeleton, the clock that is shaped like a coffin with the Mm -hmm. skeleton in it? Listen to this. It was a real skeleton. What? It was a real skeleton of the real woman who owned that clock and commissioned it to be built. Like it was her bones? Yes. That, well, that's what I read. And in 2002, the coffin clock with the bones was sold for 35,000 pounds, which I would think would be more than that. Yeah, I thought you were going to say million dollars. I know. Well, it was 2002. But, uh, they, so inflation, they, it is a million dollars. Yeah. They had a smaller budget in order to keep the original cast. Because um, the producers were really pushing for David Bowie, Mick Jagger. And Mm -hmm. so they went with the smaller budget and kept the original cast. All right. So those, all right. So I have that. It, uh, I'll come back to that. Um, Originally, Tim Curry rehearsed Frank with a German accent and peroxide blonde hair. And then later he did an American accent. And then he is said to have heard a British woman say, I can't do the accent. <laughs> I was gonna do what it. What is the um what is the sentence? Do you have a do you live in a town? Do you have a house in town or a house in the country? Do you have a house in do you do you have a house in town or a house in the? It was Scottish. I like a Scottish. kiwi. <laughs> it did sound Australian to me. Do you have a house in the town or a house in the country? My <laughs> <Cockroom. laughs> Well, anyway, he heard her say that, and he decided that Doctor Frank should sound like the Queen. Yeah. So that's where he got the accent mm. from. And I think he says that line in the film. Probably. It, it makes sense. Um, Peter Hinwood, who played Rocky, he stopped acting soon after this movie. He, w- he was more of a model. Um, and he went on to be an antiques dealer in London. He knows that he can't act. And he cringes every time that he watches the film. Aww. And he knew that he would prefer a quiet life. So that's why those were the three reasons that he gave that he never cashed in. And then, but it was perfect for the role because yeah. he was not supposed to be able to act. He was like his, a made person. He put in. He did all his hard work. He was in that body of his. Yes, That's he all did. He did. Yes, he did. 
And he actually found the gold hot pants and he sold them. They sold in auction. Uh, they went to the Hard Rock Cafe and as last Wikipedia has, they are on display at the Hard Rock Cafe in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> so. Wow. That's where those gold hot pants are. Um, wow. The Rocky Horror Show, so, or the, yeah, the Rocky Horror Show, it started in London. It opened on Broadway and closed after three previews in March. So before the film opened in August and September, it tried to open in on Broadway and it only closed after three previews. Oh, wow. There's a reference to Steve Reeves and Steve Reeves was a bodybuilder. He, and then he made um, movies in Italian that where the dialogue and sound was ad- added later, such as remember Hercules Ma? Yes. So that was the Steve Reeves picture. And Hercules was the movie we were watching when one of our television sets just broke. <laughs> he got he got one of the lightning bolts and our TV exploded. And Poppy and, said that's because we were watching such monkeyness the TV had to die. Yeah. And then we got like a, a fancy TV, which the thing was huge, but it's so funny to guess how those are. Um, like we said, most of the original stage production was the cast, except that Fox made them cast Brad and Janet with American actors. Yeah, yeah. Like Fox is like, yo, we are, we know a little some about Americans, and yeah. uh, we know a little some about wanting to make our money back. So you got to cast Brad and Janet as American actors. And also, Meatloaf was in the Los Angeles production of mm. Rocky Horror, the the show, the stage production, and he was cast to play in the film. I had, they wanted Elvis to play Eddie. And in 75, was Elvis... Was he fat Elvis? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Oh. Glad that happened. Meatloaf is such an interesting character mm-hmm. because it's just. And then I read that he was really good friends with um, the guy from Saturday Night Live, Belushi, John Belushi, and it kind of mm-hmm. then made sense that that like they were really close friends because I think they kind of had similar energy. Where I mean, John Belushi was hilariously funny and stuff but like when meatloaf shows up i was like that's meatloaf and when i was growing up um i always knew like who meat like meatloaf was a rock star but it's just interesting it's one of those things where you're like this guy is a rock star like how did that that's how it was his whole career to be but yeah just by gumption and talent and that certain i don't know what nor do I, but he was on one uh, series of The Apprentice. Well, he to me, he'll always have a place in my heart because he was in Fight Club. And he was great in Fight Club. We haven't done Fight Club. Yet. We might have to have a Brad Pitt month. We might. 
Um, this was, we already said it was a parody and tribute to science fiction and horror movies from the 30s through the 70s. Teeny listed all of those out. The opening song was going to show clips of the films being referenced. Oh, oh that would have been cool. Yeah, but that would have been way too expensive. Oh, yeah, because they would have had to pay yeah. for all of them. Fox was like, nah, come up with something else. How about blackface lips? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be iconic and nobody will It could have been cobalt blue. It could have been purple. Um... So before the midnight screening su- success of the film, the film was pulled from its eight opening cities. It didn't do it bombed when it opened. It was pulled from its eight cities. There was planned a New York City opening on Halloween night. That oh, was canceled. Yeah, because like, yeah, of low attendance. Everybody was like, nobody's coming to see this. They're still going to see Jaws. I don't understand it. That's what the Fox rep was probably yelling at. So then Fox decided to re-release the film around college campuses. Ah. Uh Uh-huh. And then also go online and look at the first poster. That could fall in cast. Look at the first poster for the Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's Tim Curry. It's, it reminded me of like a, bad version of the bad news bears just in how 70s it was and how very like it wasn't great it's basically you can't even, it's kind of like a drawing of tim curry's character and you can tell that like he's in the corset and all of that and so then they did a second poster and the second poster is the iconic lips that spoof jaws and they have a tagline that says a different set of jaws. And those lips that everybody is so that know, like the poster and the T-shirts, those are Playboy model Lorelai Shark. Ah. Oh. And then in 1972, Fl- Pink Flamingos, John Waters film, we, we mentioned him earlier. That started running at midnight. And also they re-released or they would run in ni- the 1936 film Reefer Madness and around the nation. And that kind of got into the midnight movies thing. And then that's when it kind of started playing at midnight movies and found uh, found its niche. Did you see the poster, Ma? Is this it? No, that's not the... Well, I think maybe the top one is it's it. That's not the real like poster that they were showing. Is that, the movie. This one or a different one? No, it was a I different one. one. It was just really rudimentary and like I could see people. Um, <laughs> no, that's a picture, ma. It's not a poster. Um, no, wait, it was worse. No. Okay, Uh, because I, I, I put in first poster and all these other ones came up. There are several posters. No, that's not the the one that I saw. (laughs) They they could be, it was just really, uh, it was just really bad. This one. Yes, that's Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that is bad. Yeah, who's going to go see that? Exactly. It's it's Frank, and he's uh, a starfish pose. Like, his arms and legs are out. 
and he's in his getup, but you can't really see his getup, and it just says Rocky Horror Picture Show. It it's not. No, it wasn't. It was not worthy. Yeah, it. I don't. They did not pay somebody with a graphic arts design or whatever. So anyway, they got the Playboy Bunny model lips to bite the lip, and they're like, "Play this at midnight." That's when it started picking up. Waverly Theater. Um, the audience talking back is con- t- called counterpoint dialogue. Um, people like I had never been. I'm sorry to interrupt, but mm-hmm. about this time frame, a little earlier, I had never been in a theater where people talk back to the movie. <laughs> Until well, I went to a theater with Poppy and people were talking back to the movie and I'm looking around like, what is going on? Well, that, yeah. That's that's taking the power back. Because like, well, y'all don't want us to speak, so we're going to speak. <laughs> it was like, don't go in there. Oh, no, don't don't open that door. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh yeah, that that's great. Um, yeah, they will have things like like when Janet buys the newspaper. Um, somebody's you know she has the newspaper overhead and it's raining. They'll say, "Buy an umbrella, you cheap bitch." And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. there is a uh, misogyny in there, but yeah, yeah but it's both things, both things, two things at one time. Um, a lot of times if you you. If you would show up, I don't know if they still do this, but back in the day, if you showed up in costume, you would get in for free. I'll bet, yeah. Uh, they have online, if you're interested, as movie theaters are opening back up, you can go online and print out the dialogue because there's scripts that they have so you know oh what to say. Oh, my gosh, so you can oh, say right. the words with them. It's called, a.k.a. it's called the survival kit. Um, in 2019, Disney bought Fox... And they started withdrawing all of their archival Fox uh, prints from theaters. So I didn't know this, but like theaters would have archives of old films, of classic films. Like they probably have uh, It's a Wonderful Life and like movies like that. And, you know, so in the Christmas time, they could play um, like Miracle on 34th Street, that kind of thing. But when Disney bought Fox, they started having the theaters bring back all of the archival Fox prints. Interesting. Except they did make an exception for the Rocky Horror picture. And they said, no, you guys can keep that because Disney is all about that cream. Cash rules everything around me. (laughs) So they were like, yeah, we're still making money off of that. Um, Shock treatment. It's not a direct sequel, but it does have most of the cast members except for Curry, Sarandon, and Bostwick, and they're playing different roles within it. So it's kind of a pseudo, but not really, sequel. Um, And I heard that Alice Cooper was one of the main inspirations for Frank. Wow, I could see that. Mm-hmm. When he there was one point where he was singing and strutting, and he looked just like Mick Jagger. 
Yeah, you can see it. I mean, that's that's always what's the funny thing to me about like queerness in mm-hmm. rock, and it, it, you you got Mick Jagger, you got Freddie Mercury. The amount, like growing up, the amount of just Marines and and like army, like Rangers, tough ass, you know that you would, but just loving Queen and mm-hmm. Prince, and you're mm-hmm. just like guys. <laughs> Well, what do you you do know like with Freddie Mercury? I mean, right? Yeah, you know? right. I mean, <laughs> well, I did hear that. Um, I read that Susan Sarandon they wanted her to be naked in the scene where she's having sex with Frank, and oh. she refused, even though she had been naked in other films before this. She said, no, not today. Oh, so she, she wasn't naked? Because I thought that you kind of, because it was in the silhouette, and I kind of thought well, that. Well, maybe you... with the silhouette she was, but not full on. Oh. On, on. I mean, what a career Susan Sarandon has yes. had. Yes. yes. Just amazing. She's one of and my she, favorite actresses. She was very um, skeptical of her own singing voice. Oh, she didn't feel that she had the singing voice for this. And um, somebody just said, just sing happy birthday. And she did in there. Yeah, you can do it. You got it. Yeah, I thought it was her voice was good for it. Yeah, I did, too. That's what I heard about the the like the original stage production is that it was much and like the one of the, the differences between the movie and the stage production is the stage production is just dirtier and grittier mm. and it kind of does lead into that punk aesthetic of like you're just seeing it like you mean it you're you don't have to be you know um On Julie pitch. Andrews or anything yeah it just like we're just it's just that dirty kind of greediness to it that the film kind of shines it up but then because of the life that it has taken on in the with the stage production and stuff that the theatrical audience participation that it has then gone more back to the way the original stage production Ah. that it's just this crazy weird thing eating itself and that it eventually has warped back into the the dirty grittiness of the way that because the guy O'Brien who wrote it, he was like, "This will open for three weeks and then close." Mm-hmm. He was out of work; he had nothing to do, and he just wrote these songs and kind of just pieced the script together. And yeah, all these years. Well, I thank you, Teeny, because I had never seen it, and I probably wouldn't have if you hadn't yeah, recommended it. And mm-hmm. it was a blast. It was a blast. So next week. All right, well, next week we are doing a movie that my friend Mr. Goldstein told me about years ago. And Uh I was like, all right, we'll do it, I'll do it. I figure it's the perfect time to drop it in. I think it's going to be super weird. Uh, Just because he said it and he just had a look at his eye of like, I bet you won't do this. (laughs) And It's from 1968, starring Uh Peter Sellers. And it's called I Love You, Alice B. Toklas with an exclamation point. It's so awful, you couldn't even guess. Yeah, no. no. Alice B. 
Toklas? Yeah, I think it's about, I'm pretty sure. Let's How do you spell that up. last part? Alice B T O K I let me. Have you confirmed we can watch yeah, exactly ah! <laughs> I did. It's available it's available to rent. T O K L A S. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, do we know anybody in it? Yeah, Peter Sellers Peter is Sellers. in it. Sellers. Okay. I'll give the overview is a successful straight-laced Jewish lawyer, Harold Fine, who's Peter Sellers, takes a walk on the wild side after reluctantly agreeing to marry his longtime girlfriend, Joyce, Joyce Van Patten, unexpectedly smitten by his hippie brother's flower child girlfriend, Nancy, and her potent marijuana-laced brownies. Oh, <laughs> Harold okay. ditches his establishment life and embraces communal living with Nancy only to realize the freewheeling life might not be all that it seems. Oh, oh I can't no. wait. It's got a now Spice World had a what a 34% on Rotten Tomatoes? Yeah, that's right, yeah. And this has a 14%. 14. Okay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> wow. Okay, well, leave it to Neil to give us a <laughs> uh, one out of left field. And so so we, we can get it on Apple TV? Yeah, you can watch the movie. There's um, a segment on YouTube called Eating Groovy Brownies. Eating? Yeah. You know, maybe we should have some groovy brownies before yeah. we watch it. <laughs> so I thought it would just be good to keep the, the funky... Crazy freewheeling lives going. I make no promises whatsoever. I was just like, it's been. I said that I was gonna do this film, and it's been years. I'm like, might as well slide it in right after Rocky Horror Picture Show. Keep the vibes going. 1968. Well, he better listen, because we're gonna call him out several times. (laughs) I love it. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Rocky Horror Picture Show. We didn't even say that this was Gone with the Bushes after dark. After dark. This is an after dark. After a rather frustrating day for all of us at some point. Fun day. (laughs) So we hope that you you had fun with us because we enjoyed being with you. (laughs) Well... There you go. Bye. Bye. Bye.